0: Secrets to Real Estate Investing, episode 35.
1: Welcome to the Secrets to Real Estate Investing podcast by House Flip Masters, where you will learn powerful strategies from top experts in real estate investing, and you will find valuable information to take your investments to the next level. Now, here's your host and expert real estate investor, Holly McCann.
0: Well, hello there and welcome to another exciting episode of Secrets to Real Estate Investing by House Flip Masters. I am so excited about our guest today. Very unusual and, and something we definitely haven't seen before. This gentleman named Bruce Jones is what he calls himself a tax strategist. <laughs> I had never heard of this job description before, but I am so fascinated by it because I, in case you don't know, am a former CPA. I left that world Decades ago. I was a CPA back in the 1900s. But hey, I love to talk with people who have found ways to minimize, reduce, delay, defer, any of those words, the dreaded taxes that we pay that sometimes feel like such a penalty for having success in our investing careers. So let me tell you a little bit about Bruce Jones. He entered the financial services industry in 1970 and has taught the subjects of tax tax management and financial strategy planning since 1974. He's a president and CEO of Tax Wealth, a tax analysis and solutions research company which identifies comprehensive tax planning solutions for owners of real estate, privately owned businesses, and other appreciated assets. In addition to serving his own clientele, Tax Wealth supports CPAs, attorneys, financial advisors, and real estate and business brokerage professionals in helping to solve their clients' tax problems, which I have to say, tax problems are a good problem to have, but hey, we need help with them. Bruce is headquartered in Newport Beach, California, and he's just a fantastic individual. I'm so excited to welcome him to the show. So with that, welcome, Bruce.
1: Well, thank you very much, Holly.
0: Hey, why don't you fill in the gaps? I'm sure I haven't said everything great about you yet. So why don't you give our listeners a little background on you and maybe how you came to do what you do and why you're so passionate about it?
1: Well, I've officially entered my 47th year in financial services now. Having, wow. As you said, started way back in 1974. Yeah, I'm just old, <laughs> but I'm pretty experienced and, uh, our focus with tax wealth is to identify planning opportunities that uh, were overlooked oftentimes by those in the CPA and account accountancy world uh, in f- finding solutions to solve the tax problems and f- people are selling their real estate or other, some, some other capital assets. And we also do a lot of mitigation of income tax planning for the self employed as well. I, was in the securities and financial planning industries for 41 years. I retired from them two and a half years ago. And knowing the statistics after people retire, I wanted to live longer. So I decided to stay in business and keep my tax planning company. So tax wealth has been around now for gosh, probably 27 years or somewhere in there. And uh, we are very passionate about what we do. Uh, It's a real joy to, be able to come alongside CPAs and attorneys and other financial advisory professionals in a collaborative fashion to work together to solve their clients' tax situations. It is a passion I have. I fondly refer to it as beating up the IRS legally, but it is very interesting to see what is in tax law that folks just are not aware of, and it is amazing as to what can be done both in some cases, eliminating taxes at sale or deferring them or reducing them.
0: Awesome, I cannot wait to hear about some of the stories of how much money you've saved people. I always love to hear that. Well, why don't you start out by telling us what are some of the typical ways of selling real estate and solving the tax problem that we have when we sell appreciated real estate?
1: Okay. Well, actually, and unfortunately, when you're selling a piece of real estate or or in any other appreciated capital asset, there really are few choices categorically to really investigate. So let me let me touch on what they are, and most people are are familiar with at least the first two, and possibly the the, the others that I'll bring up as well. But the first one, uh, for those in real estate, they're normally aware of a thing called the 1031 exchange. The 1031 exchange, the seller of the asset, buys another property of equally greater value. And by doing so, deferring the taxes into what is called the uplake property. Now using an exchange, you must identify within the first 45 days after close of escrow the relinquished property, uh, one up to three properties that you wanna buy. And that puts you into a 180-day close rule, that they call it, to where you need to close escrow on one or more of those properties within that 180-day time frame. And by doing so, you're deferring the taxes. Part of the 1031 exchange is that you must also carry over the debt on the relinquished property. And you must also carry over the basis to the new property from the property that you sold. So consequently, from a tax viewpoint, each time you carry over basis, you're lowering and reducing further with each 1031 exchange you might do. The basis on the upleg property, which means you have less tax benefit on depreciation available to you. And of course, when you carry over the debt, then your yield is going to be lower as well. But the 1031 exchange is a well-established law. It's been around for several decades now. And it's usually the default type of transaction that a seller of real estate usually uh, looks at uh, in order to defer the taxes.
0: Well, that, what in the world else? That would be the, do we have? The you most know? paramount. I'm just wondering what other choice we could possibly have. You, know, you, also, you also have,
1: yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of folks who own real estate, that's the only one that they know about. And I, and that's usually because that's the only thing the real estate brokers know about. But there there is much more actually. A second option is through charitable tax planning, uh, and this is usually dealing with a thing called a charitable remainder trust, a CRT, or a charitable gift annuity. And with those type of instruments, the seller the or what would have been the seller of the property, the property owner gives the property to a trust or directly to the charity. And it's the trust or the charity, which is nonprofit and tax-free, that sells the property, thereby escaping all of the capital gains taxes. What the donor now, not seller, but donor of the property gets in return is they get an added charitable tax deduction for the year of the gift, plus they get income for a term of years or for lifetime. What they're not getting is a lump sum of cash at close the escrow. So there's a trade off there. Now, charitable planning can be very, very effective. But what in my experience in the last four decades, I've been doing what I've been doing and doing and I've done quite a bit of charitable planning as well. When the seller of the asset discovers that using charitable tools, you're by giving away the asset, you're disinheriting your children that oftentimes doesn't set well. Now there is a mechanism referred to as a wealth replacement trust that can be funded by life insurance to replace that gift and go to the heirs on a tax advantage basis. But some people are uncomfortable with that as well. So like anything else in tax planning, it's not a cure-all. There is no cure-all in tax planning, it's just an option that's available in law to be able to escape, in that instance, the capital gains taxes and generate income for the rest of your life. So there's the 1031 exchange, charitable tax planning. Then there's a thing called a deferred sales trust. Now deferred sales trust actually sprang boarded off of the private annuity trust, which was pretty much modified out of law in October of 2008. But a deferred sales trust is, is a structure where the seller of the asset sets up a trust and then they sell the property to the trust that they themselves set up. They hire a supposed third party trustee to manage that trust and through this mechanism, they defer the taxes. If they take any lump sum at clause of escrow or they take income from the trust, that's all going to be taxable to them. Now, personally, I'm not a proponent of that particular planning approach, but it is in the marketplace and uh, a lot of people are being exposed to it. And I would certainly encourage any of your listeners who might be exposed to it just to listen with a lot of caution and be sure that you really fully understand what it's about before you make any decisions about it. Then there's a thing called a structured sale. Structured sale was set up by a very large insurance company. I think it was Safeco many years ago, and it's a way of being able to also defer the taxes. From the insurance company's perspective, they thought it was going to be a great way of selling a lot of annuities because that's what the proceeds of the sale of the asset purchases or annuities. Structurally, uh, the monies go offshore for at least 24 hours. Why, I don't really understand, but that is uh, an important element of it. But then the sale proceeds come back in and the annuities are purchased and the seller of the asset then defers the taxes and receives annuity income for a term of years. Okay, well, they get to defer the taxes, but any income they get is going to be taxable to them, uh, as is any lump sum amount that they take as a result of doing this as well. What I've found through the years and working with a lot of folks who are selling properties is that they would much prefer having a tax advantaged amount of cash at close of escrow than they would uh, preferring having a flow of income. Uh, or no income at home, but still deferring the taxes. Then another choice, and one which I do favor, is having to do with installment sales, but in a very special way. Most people, I think, identify installment sales with seller carryback financing. In other words, if you were to sell an asset, a property, and I wanted to buy it, and I put down my down payment, you would take back a note and trust deed for the difference between my down payment and the sale price that we negotiated. That's a traditional installment sale, also referred to as seller carry back financing. From a tax planning viewpoint, it's a band-aid at best. In my experience, these are typically three to five years in length. And I'm sure you'll agree that five years can go by very, very quickly, especially when it comes to financial matters. But what happens structurally from a tax view point is that if you uh, on the interest that I would pay on the note, you're going to pay ordinary income on that interest. And you're going to pay capital gains tax on any proportionate amount of the principal that I pay on that note. Now, it can be structured in many, many different ways. So let's illustrate, let's say it's an interest only installments contract for five years. Well, I would pay interest each month on that five-year period. And at the end of the five-year period, uh, I would pay off the note. So the down payment that I pay at the beginning of our relationship on that sale, you would pay the capital gains tax on that. You would then pay ordinary income interest on the note for the five-year period. And then when I pay off that note in five years, then you'll pay capital gains tax on that. So again, at best, it's a it's a, uh, Band-Aid because... It's a short-lived transaction. And basically, if we were to put numbers to it, if you had a million-dollar sale and I put $300,000 down as a down payment, year one of the transaction, you'd pay capital gains taxes on 300000 And then five years later, you'd pay taxes, again, on 700000 the rest of the amount that I would pay the note on. So it, it can be good, but is far better structured differently. So if I may, let me touch on that just for a moment. One of my favorite ways, personally, as far as deferring taxes lawfully, is to be able to defer the taxes for 30 years and provide the seller of the property a near equivalent amount of the sale proceeds on a tax-free basis. And the way that works is that we are doing simply what the chief counsel of the Internal Revenue Service says is permissible in law, and that's to couple a monetized loan with an installment contract. So what happens with this structure is that because the law says that until you take what is called constructive receipt of the sale proceeds, you do not pay the taxes, that won't occur until 30 years goes by after close of escrow. Now, the definition of an installment sale in law is probably the shortest there is in law. It simply says one or more payments made after close of escrow. It doesn't say how much it has to be or how little. It doesn't say how long the contract must be or how short. It just simply says one or more payments after close of escrow. Well, in our situation here with this structure, that one payment comes 30 years after close of escrow. In regards to the loan, that becomes an investment business loan from a third-party private lender who will lend to the seller uh, an amount that's nearly equivalent to the sale proceeds it actually nets out at about 93.5% of the net sale proceeds of the transaction. And tax law says that receipt of loan proceeds is non-taxable. So that's how we're able to lawfully defer the taxes for three decades and provide the seller of the property and sale proceeds on a tax-free basis.
0: Let me jump in and ask a question here. So when you say 30 years, is that just an arbitrary number, or is there some reason for that selection of 30 years?
1: Uh, Very good question. There is a reason for that. The propellant to this whole planning strategy is actually not the benefits to the seller. It's the benefits to the lender that drives this. And there are these. With the lender... They only had to underwrite the loan once, and it's never based upon the borrower. In fact, the borrower does not have to submit any personal financials to qualify for the loan. They just need to use this planning approach to sell the asset. The underwriting of the loan was based upon what is called a dealer, which is an an entity that is an intermediate buyer within this transaction. In other words, if we take a a million one as the example – and I'm the buyer and you're the seller. Uh, We negotiate price for the million-one, we go into escrow, you as a seller then, invite the dealer in as an intermediate buyer. That's his function under law. And you sell the asset for the million-one that we negotiated. However, you sell it to the dealer on an interest-only installment contract for 30 years. Again, that defers the taxes for 30 years. You are introduced to the third-party private lender who will lend to you a net of ninety three and a half percent of the net sale proceeds. So if of the million one, let's assume a hundred thousand was sale costs in escrow. So your net sale proceeds is a million dollars in that example. So you'd receive a gross loan of nine hundred and fifty thousand and after cost of the loan is set up on how the loan is paid, you'll net 935 percent or nine hundred and thirty five thousand dollars. And again, because those are loan proceeds, tax law says that you do not pay taxes when you receive them at close of escrow. And now the reason for the 30 years is because that's what the lender dictates.
0: Mm, okay, that makes
1: like, sense. Going, all right, Going back to why though, and why the lender is so keen on doing these transactions, and they've been doing them now for over over seven years now. Is because the, the dealer, when it receives the net sale proceeds or the proceeds of the sale, those dollars are invested in the U.S. market, stock market, mm. over the 30-year period of the loan. And the, in its research, the, the lender discovered that the market has always done its very best over any 30-year period. In fact, so much so that the market has never averaged less than 9 to 11% over any 30-year period in its history. That's the reason the loan is for 30 years, and that's the reason the installment contract is for 30 years. Because the lender is very, very confident that relying upon the normal trends of the U.S. market to do what it's always done over its entire history over any 30-year period, which is now over 100 years, not ever doing less than an average of nine to 11%. They're very, very confident that they're gonna get paid their interest rate and the payoff of the principal in 30 years. Got and it. the dealer is very confident Got that they'll it. do well. So what the lender has done is put into place a strategic plan to generate a higher than normal market risk, or I'm sorry, normal, higher than normal market return on yield with far less adjusted risk than they have through normal mortgage lending. The loan interest is 6% fixed over the 30-year period. That's nearly double normal mortgage market rates in today's market, and they're generating that consistently with far less risk than they have through normal mortgage lending. That's why they're doing this. So actually, everybody wins. The seller wins because they're deferring the taxes for 30 years, and they have full use of those borrowed funds from the investment business loan, to invest however they choose with no restriction and with no liens against the borrowed funds or any liens against their personal assets. None whatsoever. Because this is a completely uncollateralized loan.
0: So I got so another... I full control
1: oh. of the funds. Yeah,
0: no, go ahead. Please. I was going to say, I got another question for you. What if... Say I set this up, and even though I'm so into health, I know I'm going to live to be 100, but what if I did one of these deal structures, and I died 20 years from now, or 10 years from now, what would happen then upon my death?
1: It does not trigger the tax of death. The taxes still won't be due until the end of the 30-year term of the contract. But here's what does happen. The installment contract is an asset of the estate, and therefore, it could be includable for valuation purposes for potential estate taxes. If your estate is above the $5,450,000 exemption that we currently have per individual or 10.9 million if it's a married couple. So if you're married, the first 10.9 million of your estate is not taxed on an estate level. Every dime above that is at 40% currently. So let me give you an actual example. Uh, we closed the case uh, about 90 days ago or so on a five million dollar commercial property here in Orange County. And this gentleman is very wealthy; he's uh, well above the exemption level of the 10.9 million with he and his wife. And what he sold was the building; he did not sell the land. The reason he chose not to sell the land was because he is dying. And he knows that he doesn't know when death is going to occur. It might be a couple of years from now. It might be this year. He just doesn't know. So he's setting up his estate to protect his wife, his children, and his grandchildren. And he reasoned that by keeping the land at his death, though under current law, there will be a step up in basis to the value of the property at the time of his death. And if his widow then sells the property for that value, she would pay no capital gains taxes. And he's absolutely correct in that. But what he forgot about was the estate taxes. The property is worth currently $15 million. Wow. So every, every bit of that $15 million is currently exposed to a 40% estate tax or $6 million in taxes. Had he included the land with the building using this planning mm. approach, the installment contract would have been for $20 million. The estate rules for valuation say that what's included in the estate for valuation is the market value of the asset minus any debt. Well, he would have had a $20 million contract with about a $19 million investment business loan. So on a gross basis, only a million dollars would have been included in his estate rather than 15 million. And that would have been further discounted because of the very structure of the installment contract is such that it can be discounted substantially in value for estate planning purposes. For example, there's no marketability to it. That allows it to be discounted. You don't get paid off in principle until 30 years goes by. That allows it to be further discounted. And there's some other features to it that allows it to be discounted further. And I've been told by authorities in estate planning that they're very confident that it can be discounted by at least 50%. So in his situation, he would have had a $20 million contract that would be discounted to probably half of that, which means the million dollar of exposure would have been reduced by the same amount. So he, instead of having $15 million exposed to a 40% tax, that's the state tax, maybe he would have around 500000 that would be exposed. Wow, this is never structured yeah this was, this was never structured as an estate planning tool, but by default, it becomes one
0: Well, what other stories can you share with us without revealing any names to protect the innocent of people who you have saved some money? maybe what their stories are, not who they are, but how you were able to save people 's well, money
1: Well, let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, well, he was one. On that $5 million transaction, uh, we saved him, well, we saved him, but by deferring it for 30 years, uh, we deferred uh, more than a million and a half in in taxes that you would have otherwise had to pay for the year of sale. So that was substantial for him. Uh, Another situation, here's one. This is sort of an interesting one. Uh, I was referred to some folks who inherited their father's estate some 20 years ago. And what they inherited was a family limited partnership that owns a C corporation and the corporation at the time of inheritance owned $60 million worth of commercial industrial properties. Wow. So the three siblings that inherited these two of the siblings have been managing the properties and the corporation and the family limited partnership ever since. And then one of the siblings was not involved in management at all. Well, the sibling involved, not involved in management, wanted to be bought out of the family limited partnership for $4 million. The only way that could be accomplished is if the corporation sold one or more of its properties. But if it did, it would have three levels of corporate taxes and then one level of taxes for the recipient of the buyout. So the tax concern was pretty huge. So I was referred to the chief among the siblings who were doing the majority of the management, shared with him about this planning approach I just mentioned. He really liked it. got me together with his attorney who really liked it. And the attorney then suggested that they submit to me for analysis one or more properties that they'd be willing to sell to see what the impact would be. So they gave me one property for 5040000 the other one for a little bit more than $2.9 million combined value just under $8 million. There was no debt to the properties. And the result of the analysis showed that if they sold both properties after cost of sale and after the taxes were paid, they were still $899,000 short of the $4 million need for the buyout of the partner. In contrast, using this planning approach, all three levels of corporate taxes were completely eliminated, not deferred. The corporation only had to sell the larger of the two properties, not both of them. That was the $5,040,000 one. Corporation ends up with I'm sorry, $4,488,000 tax-free from the investment business loan pays off the sibling for the buyout and defers the, those taxes for a sibling for 30 years. And the corporation ended up with a net tax free surplus for the corporation of 488,000.
0: Fantastic. Congratulations to them. <laughs> well, to,
1: to them, absolutely. They, they were pretty pleased. I bet. Uh, let, let me, if, if I may, let me touch on something else that doesn't have to do with the sale of property, but has very much to do with property that folks already own okay. and being able to garner more tax benefit from it. Great. There there's a there's a law that's been available since January first of nineteen eighty seven. Came in with the nineteen eighty six Tax Reform Act. And it's really surprising to me that real estate property owners are not aware of this. But it, They just, for some reason, aren't. But what this does is allows the property owner to partition out certain components that are tied to the property and literally change its character under law from real property that has a 27 and a half year depreciation schedule for single family rentals or apartments or those types of structures, or a 39-year straight-line depreciation schedule if it's commercial property, and accelerate that portion to five, seven, or 15 years. And what that does, it gives the property owner either more tax benefit that can be used to apply against taxable gain on properties they wanna sell, or it gives them an instant increase of cash flow tax-free. Now, let me illustrate uh, an actual case they received a call from a, a young lady, young to me. She's in her early, early 40s. And she and her husband had uh, just finished writing and sending the IRS a check for $40,000 for taxes. And she wasn't very happy about that. And she asked me, how what can be done to mitigate these taxes? And I said, well, I don't know. Send me your tax returns. Let me review them, and I'll, and I'll report back to you. Well, she did. In reviewing the tax returns, I discovered that they owned six small unit, unit investment properties, the largest being a five plex. Well, immediately I knew that they were candidates for this law. And I had all the information in the tax returns to run a forecast, which was done. And four of those properties were prime candidates for this to apply this law. So I had something of substance to come back to them with when after I had the analysis and the forecasting done for me. Now, before I get into what happened, let, let me sure, ask you a question. And by extension, goes to all, all of your listeners. And just to answer me, yes or no, and be blatantly honest with me. And the statement is this. Holly, I can guarantee you 100% return on your investment in a matter of 60 days. Do you believe me?
0: Yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. Well, I, I would I would quarrel with that. I, I'd say in your mind, you're saying, are you nuts? 100% return in 60 days?
0: Well, I know where Come you're on. going what, with what? it. So I guess if you <laughs> yeah. had approached... Okay, but you then, do, but, yes, your, but li- yeah. your listeners don't. But. An investment right, no, that you've red, never red, heard of, then you'd be like, no, that maybe that's crazy. Although some of us investors do get that on our deals. But yeah, I know where you're going. So if I didn't know, I'd be like, no, no way. You couldn't do that. <laughs> of
1: course. So, so, it, so it wouldn't help at all if I said with no risk. No risk, 100% guaranteed in 60 days. Of course not. You're going to say, you know, what are you smoking? <laughs> no. All right, But let me, let me prove it out. And, and this is only one way that I can prove it out. And that's through effective tax planning. That's proactive. And this is applying that law that I was able to apply for these folks. Now, whenever you're reviewing a piece of property that you are considering purchasing, you're looking at all sorts of different elements to it. You're looking at location, of course. You're looking at rent roles, the type of renter, the history on rents, the structure itself, the type of structure, the condition of the structure, all sorts of different things. And you're likely to take all that information, throw it on a spreadsheet, project it out, and based upon those numbers, you're gonna make a decision to buy this property. But wouldn't you agree that that decision is based upon pure conjecture? In other words, if A, B, and C happens, oh, it's gonna be a great investment. If D, E, and F happens, oh, it could be still good. Or if H and J happens, oh, it could be really bad. But the decision is gonna be based upon if this happens or that happens. Not what I do in tax law. What I do is is all tax law, written law. So there's no conjecture to it. It's just a matter of application. Now, in regard to this particular planning approach, this is law and the IRS recognizes it as law. And they would tell you, yeah, we, we understand it's law, but to apply the law, we require that you do a formal study by a third party authority in that area of law on the properties that you want to implement it for and be sure that it complies our IRS regulations. If You do that, we have no problem with it at all. All right, let's go back to these folks that did this. Well, the investment is the cost to do the formal study required by the IRS, by the third party authority in this area. In their case, it was, well, you know, that one was $12,000, but that's deductible. So after applying their tax bracket, their hard dollar cost or investment was $7,000. Here's what they got back. In benefit, we were able to amend the previous year's tax returns that where they paid the $40,000, and got sixteen thousand of it back, plus interest from the IRS.
0: Wow! I bet that they're glad 16, they met you. That's fantastic. In addition,
1: <laughs> well, well, they were pretty pleased, but it, not me. It's just application of law that they weren't aware was available to them. That's all it is.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now that that's about a seventy-eight percent return on investment. Would you be happy?
0: I'd be thrilled. <laughs>
1: Well, but I didn't I say a hundred percent or more? In addition to that, we were able to generate another eighty six thousand dollars of tax savings, totaling hundred and two thousand dollars in their hands within sixty days on a seven thousand dollar investment.
0: Oh my gosh. That so is what's the return on
1: investment? <laughs>
0: um, I don't have a calculator in front it's of in- me, but it's over ten times. Yeah.
1: <laughs> right. It's, it's well over 10 times. That's over a thousand percent return yeah. with no risk guaranteed because it's written law. See, all it is is a different type or approach to an investment. And that investment is an application of tax law. That's all it is. It's nothing magical. It's just understanding the law and how to apply it rightly.
0: Fantastic. So for,
1: for your listeners, who, for your listeners who own real property, this is something that's available to them that they need to check out.
0: I would agree 100%. And it just makes me a little bit sad for investors who often have a reputation of being um, frugal. And and that's how a lot of them have saved their money, is they're very frugal and careful with their money. Mm-hmm. And sometimes in doing so, they'll decide to do their own taxes on TurboTax or you know, maybe think H&R Block is the way to go, but I guarantee you TurboTax and H&R Block are not going to be able to do what you just told us about. That's for sure. It's well worth for them to take advantage of, you know, spending some time talking with you and learning what their options are for sure. So how would someone well, was, about getting in touch with you?
1: Uh, well, my website is www.taxwealth.com. And my office number, which is toll free, is 800 300 4723.
0: Easy enough. And I should say, too, yeah, and I should
1: say, Holly, as well, there's no cost at all to talk to me. I'm here to help people and to serve people. And I'm more than happy to discuss what their situation is to see if there's any avenue that they might want to look at to, to help them.
0: That's wonderful because I know many times attorneys and CPAs start that clock ticking um, before the call even goes through to their desk and you're paying by the hour, whether they can help you or not. So or I should say paying by the minute. So that's really wonderful that yeah. you can talk to people before they even invest a penny with you to see if there is going to be a benefit and a return on investment of their money that they invest in this situation.
1: So for my, you, You need to earn the right to serve the client. And the way that I choose to earn that right is to find out what the needs are first without any expense to them and also give them the opportunity to size me up to see if they're comfortable with me because they shouldn't do business with anybody unless they're comfortable with them.
0: Amen to that. Love that. Well, thank you so much for your time today. We need to go ahead and wrap it up. But as we close out here, um, do you have any final words of advice to those real estate investors out there?
1: Yeah, actually, I think I do. And if you're thinking about selling your property, give yourself plenty of time. Do not rush into it. Allow yourself the opportunity of learning what your real options are and then so you can make a, a value judgment based upon reality and based upon fact and not conjecture. So give yourself the time to, to really think it through and learn the options so that the decision that you make is the very best that you can make for your best benefit and that you're, of your family.
0: I love that. Well, thank you so much, Bruce. So once again, um, if you missed it earlier, it's Bruce Jones with taxwealth.com. And his number once again is 800-300-4723. And he is happy to talk with you at no cost or obligation to see if he can serve you and help you. So thank you so much, Bruce. And all my listeners, get out there and create some wealth. And while you're doing it, I know you're making the world a better place. And I appreciate you, and and so does everyone else. Thanks for listening, and make it a great day.
1: If you found value in today's episode, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show. You can find our show notes at our website, HouseFlipMasters.com, on the podcast page. Also. To get our top tips for finding deals without spending lots of money, go to houseflipmasters.com for your free download today.